We've been tracking through these statements of Jesus uh, for the last seven weeks. This is week number eight. And uh, as we've been listening to Jesus and hearing his uh, uh, blessing statements, these beatitudes, we've kind of picked up, I mean, right from the get-go, recognized how uh, the things that Jesus is saying, the things that he is saying, they're very uh, subversive, right? They, uh, they kind of turn the way people normally think of the world, of reality, they kind of turn it on its head. And they look different, and, and we kind of crank our, our necks at Jesus. Because when the world tells you what it means to be hashtag blessed, what they probably have in mind is life looking really good or going really good, right? Uh, maybe it's a time in life when you've kind of moved into a new station, a new uh, a stratus uh, in your social life, right? Lots of new friends. Maybe you're the homecoming king or queen. I'd say I'm blessed. Or, or maybe uh, you've come uh, uh, financially into a new uh, area of your life and, and there's many blessings. You've got many possession, possessions and things. Or maybe you've climbed the corporate ladder and you have a new title and a position and power and influence. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no. He says, to be blessed or blessing, blessing in me, uh, comes to the poor, it comes to those who are meek and lowly, it comes to those who are hated by others, who are reviled. Now, Jesus isn't saying that those blessings that the world calls blessings aren't blessings and gifts from God. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying the world has a smaller view than I have. Because when the world talks about these blessings and kind of the happiness that goes along with it, they're short, right? They're limited. Those are things that will lift you up and lift your spirits for a time, for a season. But Jesus says, I've got a longer view. I'm not talking about just a little high for now, a little happiness to get you through the week. I'm talking about the blessedness for eternity, Blessedness forever, eternal happiness and acceptance. That's what that word blessed means. In fact, for those first uh, hearers in the ancient world, that word uh, blessedness, it had to do with uh, divine favor. So the idea of like the gods looking down and smiling on you. That's what blessedness was. Uh, But of course, to get the gods to look down and smile upon you, you had to appease them, right? You had to worship in the right way, make the right sacrifices, and then the gods would smile. They'd look down on you and then would bless your life circumstantially. But Jesus says, not my God, not my Father. When you come to me, when you come to him, you don't have to appease him for his blessedness. You don't have to bring anything to the table for his acceptance because I've already won that for you. That's entrance into into Jesus' kingdom. This people that Jesus is making, those who he now turns, and maybe you saw that in the text, that he's no longer just saying those who mourn, those who uh, are merciful, those who are pure in heart, but he says 
blessed are you. And Jesus looks at you with that same invitation, saying, if you follow me, if you accept me as your Lord, I'm going to give you this blessedness, this acceptance from God. But that means, well, that means all these things are going to apply to us, right? And we've talked about that as we've gone through that, that you know, we're going to mourn our condition. We're going to realize our spiritual poverty. But as we process through and walk through these beatitudes, that means today, inevitably, we're going to have to deal with persecution. We have to deal with persecution. That this is part of being in God's kingdom, that it inevitably leads uh, to a world in enmity and in, in animosity towards you. And we see this played out in the biblical story, actually. All throughout Scripture, you kind of see this uh, uh, reality at play that following God or seeking to follow God leads to a kind of persecution. Uh, because people will either tear you down uh, when they see you doing well, or they'll be threatened by the new uh, 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 subversive things you're introducing to the world, right? Because Jesus came to kind of turn the world on its head. Uh, so just a couple examples from Scripture where you see this happen. Uh, if you go into the Old Testament, right, you might think of David, King David. And uh, David wasn't the first king of Israel, right? He was the second. The first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. Uh, but God said, no, I'm going to choose a new king. His name's David. He's the youngest in his family, so he is the least deserving to be king. Uh, but I'm going to come down and I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to exalt him and make him king. And when God stepped into David's life to do that, uh, then David uh, immediately went out uh, to the battle lines. And you remember the story, David and Goliath, right? And David wins the victory, and when he comes back, uh, uh, the crowds are all in support of David. And they actually sing this song of praise. They say, uh, Saul has slain a thousand, but David, ten thousand. And they're chanting David's name, and, and the favor of God is with him. And this is great because David is leaning into what God is doing in his life. David is seeking. He's a man after God's own heart. But you know what happens to Saul? Saul doesn't like that there's a new king in town. Saul starts to seek after David's life. He spends the rest of his life really hunting David down because Saul found his acceptance from the people. Saul liked the position of being king, and he liked the acceptance that he had within the kingdom. But as soon as that position was going to shift away from him, he got very jealous. He had a very cutthroat with David. And he had stopped listening to God along the way. God at one time had chosen Saul, and Saul was in this relationship with God, but then Saul departed from that and said, Ah, God, you, I don't really care what you have to say. I'm going to do things my way. And God rejected his kingship and passed it on to David. And Saul became uh, so envious of this that he hunted David down. That was a psalm of David that we heard, Psalm 31, where David is saying, I'm being persecuted on every side. Saul is coming, trying to take my life. 
And there were times in David's life when he actually had the chance to, to seek revenge on Saul. There was a couple of times he could have killed Saul, but he didn't because he was a peacemaker. And David was conforming his life to God's will, but it brought him persecution. People wanted to cut him down. So fast forward from the Old Testament to the New. You have the disciples of Jesus. And they too exhibit the same pattern of persecution simply by trying to follow Jesus. In the New Testament, the disciples are given this message of good news, right, for the world. That you no longer have to go around and bow down to all these different gods because there's one true God and Father and you don't have to appease him. He has favor with you through Jesus. And this caused a bit of a stir, right? Because this, this was subverting the culture. Right? The culture of the day said, no, there's this pantheon of gods. You have to keep them uh, uh, happy. You have to uh, appease them so that everything will go well for everyone. And they said, no, 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 that's not the way it is. That's not reality. And they subverted that message. And what happened uh, in a place uh, called Ephesus, right? This is the same place where Paul sent that letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesus, there was a fellow named Demetrius, and he was a silversmith. And he created uh, little figurines uh, uh, to the god Artemis, because Artemis, the temple of Artemis was in Ephesus. That was kind of the local god that you worshipped. And Demetrius was all freaked out because Paul's message and the message of Christianity was bad for business. And so he gathered up all of the craftsmen in the area, and he said, we got, guys, we have to put a stop to this Jesus movement, to Paul and these apostles, because Listen, if people start worshiping this new God, they're not going to buy our product. They're not going to buy our statues. This is going to be bad for business. If people realize that they don't have to buy our product to be valuable, if they don't have to buy our product to be worthy, to have acceptance among the people, this is going to be really bad for business. We have to, to put a stop to this. And so they, they roused up the whole city and they actually got a riot formed in Ephesus to chase Paul down. And Paul made it away unscathed from that one. <laughs> but he didn't always. There were beatings. There were stonings. There were mocking and reviling. They were persecuted because they were threatened by this new way of life. That's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we live today. I mean, is life today really like then? You know, like is, are, we, are we expecting these same kinds of persecutions? Are we going to be persecuted at all, at all as Christians, right? You might wonder. But if these Beatitudes are describing a people that God is forming, people who become more merciful, who become more uh, uh, harbingers of peace, then it's inevitable that we'll be people who are persecuted. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3 that we heard said it much more plainly. It said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's inevitable. Now, will it look like somebody trying to hunt you down and take your life? Well, not in our country, likely. I would say that's pretty, pretty, pretty good chances you don't have to worry about that. 
But in other parts of the world, that would be the case. But no matter what, if you are seeking to live as one of these kingdom people, formed by God, living a godly life in Christ Jesus, you inevitably a flack. You're going to take it on the chin because Jesus' message is subversive to the world. The world's in hostility with it. And you're living a new way. You're living a new life that, that threatens other people's way of life. So what does that look like today? Uh, you might think of uh, the workplace. So as a Christian, when you go to clock into your job, right, you, you clock in in a different way because you're not showing up to your job to appease your manager or your, your boss, right? You're not just trying to appease them while they're looking, you know? And you're not going to clock in just to receive a paycheck, just to kind of accumulate things for yourself. But as a Christian, you're, you're, the view is bigger, right? It's not as small. The, the world carries a small view. Jesus has a bigger view. As a Christian, you use the gifts that God has gifted you with, the skills and abilities that you have, to be a part of a, a creation, to benefit the world, to benefit your neighbor. And so when you go and you, and you clock in, uh, if you're on the assembly line, you're going to put in a solid eight hours, right? You're going to work hard. You're not going to cut corners because you want the product to be good for your fellow human, your fellow man. You're not going to be working just to kind of appease the boss and someone they're not looking, you know, like steal time off the clock. Because you know that as you go to serve, you're not just serving your boss, you're actually serving God. You're serving for them and working for them like you are for the Lord. And so you go in and you put in that hard eight hours and you work well and, and you, you, you work on a good product and you want it to go well. But you realize what that's going to do to your co-workers, right? Well, your co-workers may see you working this way, working hard, and they might say, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize the kind of production you're coming up with? Do you know how this is going to make the rest of us look? Come on, you can't, you can't work that hard. Take, go a little easier, man. We're, we're not trying to, to, you know, to live that way. That's, that, that you're threatening our way of life. Right? Because you're compelled to live differently in God's kingdom. So maybe you're compelled to live differently and, and you bring flack. Maybe that's how you get it on the chin. Or... Or maybe you're thrust into situations where you're compelled to say something. You know something's going on that's not quite right, and it doesn't sit well with you. And, and you feel that compulsion that I, I should say something right now. Uh, this actually happened to me when I uh, uh, worked as a valet in St. Louis. Uh, so after my life kind of bottomed out uh, in Colorado... I, I moved to St. Louis, and I had no money, and my roommate was paying my rent for me, um, and I got a job as a valet, so I parked cars. And it was pretty cool. There's some fun stories in the mix uh, that I could share with you sometime. Um, uh, one of the days, actually, the St. Louis Rams, so the football team, when they were still in St. Louis, they came to the steakhouse I was working at, and uh, it was the offensive linemen, right? And these guys pulled up, and they were in, like, monster trucks, okay? Like that little rail, you know, to step on to get into the truck was like chest high, and these guys just kind of, you know, plumped out, and I had to hoist myself up. 
And I was so worried uh, driving their monster trucks that it wasn't going to clear the garage, right? And so I didn't even take it into the parking garage. I, I found uh, kind of a, a, an alleyway that said, don't park here or we'll tow your car. And I was like, I got to risk it. And I parked it there and I just ran laps for, you know, an hour uh, to make sure that they didn't get towed. But the thing about valeting is you rely on the generosity of others for your well-being, for your pay. Uh, you get paid a, a pretty small wage. Uh, and then tips is supposed to account for that, right? And that wage actually gets smaller, unfortunately, the more tips you get, the more cars you park. Uh, I don't know how they work out those mathematics, but that's how it worked for me, at least, at Midwest Valet Parking uh, under Greg. Well, one night uh, as a valet, uh, there was a big event. It was a high school reunion. And there was maybe five or six of us valets, and we got to the end of the night, and it had been a good night. These people were very generous. They had tipped well. We had parked a ton of cars. And a couple of the valets, they counted up the money, you know, and then they were going to cut it, you know, six ways. And they came to the same math, the same conclusion, and they walked back to the group of us, and they said, all right, here's how much we made tonight. Here's how many cars we parked and here's how much we're going to tell Greg we made tonight. Because we all had to fill out these forms. They all had to go back to our manager and be in agreement, otherwise he'd know something was up. And in that moment, I felt that tension, you know? Because as a follower of Jesus, I know I'm not supposed to be deceitful. I'm not supposed to be dishonest to my employer, even if I feel like he's a cheapskate and he's running me dry. I'm supposed to live with integrity. I'm supposed to live differently, live changed. And so that, that tightness kind of went in, in, into me, and I knew that I should say something. I, I knew that I should speak up and, and, and tell everyone, no, we can't do this. This is dishonorable. And I was mute. Because I was afraid. Because I was afraid of what it would do for my acceptance with the group, right? How am I going to look if I talk this way, if I act this way? Who, who here is now going to think of me as the weird guy who's got to be all goody two-shoes? I don't think I was afraid that anyone was going to kill me, but I was, I was afraid. I I didn't find my acceptance with God more valuable than I found my acceptance with these people. That's what I was afraid of. That's where I found my acceptance. And so, and so I just went, went in with it. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in those kinds of moments. I think back to high school and think how many times I was on a group and I felt that twinge. And that twinge is the Holy Spirit, by the way. You have the Holy Spirit in you and he talks to you. He puts those convictions on your heart to speak up. But we're afraid sometimes, right? We're afraid to take it on the chin, to take that, that persecution for Christ. And I mean, you know, what's the worst that I was really going to get anyway, right? Uh, uh, someone just giving me like a look, like being like... I mean, how much persecution is that, really? How much persecution is that to bear? Well, for many of us, it's, it's more than we can bear. But are we going to end on, on a down note like that? Well, not if we're following the Beatitudes. Because they don't end on a down note. 
And if you feel that gut drop in you for those times that you have not spoken up, that's just that poverty of spirit taking you back to the beginning of the Beatitudes. It's you realizing that you haven't lived up to this kingdom call, but Jesus meets you there and he says, no, come. Come unto me. Blessed are you. God is still appeased with you because of what I have done. Come back. Come be formed by me. Be continually formed through these Beatitudes because you know what? I need you for the world to be merciful. And I need you for the world to be a peacemaker. And I need you for the world to to trust in my acceptance, God's acceptance of you so much that you're able to speak up and speak out for those times. To say what is honorable and to call out the evil because someone out there in the world needs to 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 have that said for things to be made right and to hear that there is a God that they don't have to bow down to and appease like the gods of popularity and the gods of, of possessions and the gods of power, that there's a God who will accept them just how they are. They need someone to speak that. So come back to me. Come back to me. Be formed by me. The Beatitudes ended. Jesus saying, what? That following him means it's just going to be a lousy time. We're going to kind of constantly be having to deal with all these issues and it's going to be a real bummer and we're going to be somber and sad. No. No, Jesus says rejoice. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Yeah, think of the reward. Think of the blessedness. Think of the the long view, not the short view, not the the, the momentary kind of ease of avoiding that hard talk, but the ongoing eternal blessedness of God's kingdom that you have part in because of what Christ has done. To have that kind of eternal reward, it's like having a million dollars in the bank. Right? And all you have to do to, to withdraw on some of that money, on some of that account, is to, to put the 60-cent stamp on the envelope, to mail in that withdrawal uh, uh, form, which we don't do anymore because we have phone apps, and you can just move money over these days. But if you had to mail it in, right, that 60-cent stamp, in comparison to what you're receiving in Jesus, that's the cost. We give comparably nothing And we receive everything from Jesus. This eternal kingdom, this kingdom uh, that he has come to bring, that he has brought in his death and resurrection. So may you and I uh, be formed continually by these beatitudes, by these blessing statements of Jesus, and by this acceptance of God, that it would be so fundamental for us that we would not fear the acceptance that we crave everywhere else, but be able to live molded by Jesus, to be formed into this kingdom people. May Jesus continue to work that blessing into your life and into mine and into this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.